Hey everyone, and welcome to the April edition of our monthly leadership podcast on Leading as Leaders. I'm your host, Avery Nesbitt. Hey, what you're about to see is an interview I did with Katie Cole. She's the author of Developing Female Leaders. It is an amazing book. I read it in two days, and I speak with her on just the, the power that's locked within this book. And we go into not just the content, but the why behind the what. And so it's a two-part series that I hope you enjoy. So stay with us. Um, it was an amazing interview, and I hope you love it. So here we go. Hey, Katie, thanks for joining us on uh, this month's episode of Leading as Leaders. Well, thank you, Avery, so much. I'm really thrilled to be here. This is going to be fun. So we were trying to figure out how to do a, a side-by-side, me and you in the car, driving around Atlanta, but you're actually right now on location in an IT office uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a job site where you're doing some leadership development training and, and some coaching. So one day, we got to do this again where we're in the car talking about uh, whatever your next adventure That's is. That's right. It's on my bucket list now to be in a car with you and do a live recording. So it's we'll going to happen. <laughs> we'll be side by side by popular demand. That's hey, right. I wanted to talk with you uh, this month and for all the leaders that are watching. Um, I just sort of got introduced to you probably no more than a month ago um, when you just released uh, your latest book, Developing Female Leaders. Um, I, I read it. I read it in about two days. And it was an amazing, an amazing book. So I wanted to sort of dive right into it and just talk about um, where it came from, how we got here, what was the, the motivation behind it, and to get into some specifics of some things that really sort of um, brought a light to a couple of areas that I didn't even know really existed. Mm -hmm. So how, how do we get here? How do we get to you writing this of all books? Like, is this <laughs> the book you thought you would be writing? Oh, gosh, certainly not. I, uh, I have been privileged to grow up in the church, and I've been in full-time ministry myself for about 20 years. I had a career in uh, the hospital system. I'm a nurse, plus I worked at a university for a long time, and so I ended up being recruited by my church and sort of grew in leadership as my church grew. And now that's been almost 20 years, which is really hard to believe. And I would say during that time, I didn't really ever feel like the whole kind of women's leadership issue was a big thing for me. I was just really thankful to be on the team. I had gifts and some degrees and a lot of experience that I could bring to the table. Um, so I was just excited to be a part of it and willing to help my church and wanted to serve wherever my gifts could be used. Uh, but a couple of years ago, uh, I actually transitioned out of my full-time staff role and started my own leadership consulting uh, business, partly for some personal reasons. And I started working with Leadership Network and just kind of needed a different pace of life from sort of the grind of six-day-a-week ministry, but still very involved with churches and um, love working with pastors and leadership teams. And everywhere I go, the number one issue is always developing leaders. How do we get more leaders in our pipeline? How do we build a pipeline? How does that help us launch campuses? That's kind of the space that I live in with churches. But I was at a conference and a really strange thing happened to me. I had a team of male leaders, a senior pastor and a couple of executive uh, pastors from a church want to have lunch with me and they wanted to sort of pick my brain, which isn't, isn't that unusual because usually they want to talk about multi-site or some of the things that right. I do. But they actually wanted to hear about what they could do to do a better job developing the women on their team. They had women leaders, 
and they were very excited about their potential and wanted to do a better job. And so we had a great conversation. Um, most of the things they were doing were awesome. A couple of the things were a little weird that I tried to kind of explain to them. This, this might not be having the effect you're trying to get with this, right. Right. Uh, but they were wonderful. So I left that meeting just really amazed that there were these people, these guys who cared enough and saw enough and wanted to sort of reach down and help these women grow in their leadership. Well, over the next two or three months, I had it happen two more times. And I was just sort of amazed. You know, like when something weird happens three times in a row, you're like, okay, God, what are you, what right. are you actually trying right. to What's tell going me? On here? Getting my attention. Yeah. Men seeking out me to ask about these women leaders. And I just thought, you know what? The conversation about this topic has been, I feel like brewing uh, for a while, but it's definitely shifting now where you've got these great pastors who see potential and they were from different theological settings different parts of the country and I just thought it was so curious that they were all working on the same thing but at the same time they were kind of getting stuck because they had these initiatives and these plans they were making some assumptions that were a little off and I just thought gosh these leaders are kind of reaching down trying to help these women and these women are wanting to grow up but they're still missing each other so even in these environments where this is an open dialogue and there's active engagement from both parties, they still aren't quite connecting. And so this little space right here was super intriguing to me. And I just thought, I wonder if I can help sort of bridge the gap. And so I set out on this sort of this self-initiated research project and uh, basically through a set of interviews and a big survey that we sent out, plus a lot of research in academia and the marketplace, what emerged really were these eight best practices of what any leader can do, but specifically what church leaders or churches can do to do a better job developing the female leaders on their team, regardless of their theology, regardless of their history. If you feel like you have women who have potential, this is the book that can sort of help you know the next steps to maximize that opportunity. Wow. And that's, and that's exactly what the book does. It doesn't uh, put you in a, a camp of, of, what I believe about this or what I believe about that is just talks about developing leaders who are right there in front of you and how you can do that, do that best. Well, it's, it's, an, yeah. it's an excellent, it's an excellent book. And some of the specifics that you go into that really were like, Oh my gosh, that's a, that's a huge, huge, huge point. That I don't think <laughs> I've ever really heard. The biggest one that stuck with me after the book was all over was the idea of a sponsor, mm. the idea of someone to come alongside of you and say, now I'm going to walk this, walk this through you. Talk to us about the difference between a mentor and a sponsor and why a, a sponsor is what's needed in these environments. That is a great concept and a really important one, especially for women or any minority that's trying to sort of make headway in leadership. Mm -hmm. So a mentor is someone who talks with you. So we probably all had mentors. I think in the church, we actually spend a lot of time on spiritual mentors, maybe yeah. even leadership mentors. They talk with you, they coach you, they ask you good questions, they help you think about things differently. Um, a sponsor is different because a sponsor talks about you. It's generally someone higher up in the level of the organization than you are in rooms that you're not in, making decisions and being a part of things that you're not a part of. Yeah. And they're taking the time as a generous leader to look around and see the up and coming leaders in their organization and talk about them in these higher level leadership rooms. So a sponsor is incredibly important. And one of the things that I raise in the book is that we don't realize it, but when you have a male majority or a male populated team, I try not to use male dominated 
validated anymore because it sounds like so negative, Um, but it's a male populated environment. It is really easy for someone like you, Avery, to kind of connect with a 19 or 20 year old young male leader. You probably have a lot in common. You see yourself in them. It's really easy to kind of ask them questions about themselves, figure out what their dreams are. He might even approach you and ask to take you out to coffee. You get this kind of like relational connection really easily. And so when you're in an executive team meeting and you're talking about the next campus launch you want to have, that guy's in your mind. It may not be the campus pastor, or it might be. It might be the youth guy. It might be the summer intern, but he's on your brain, and you're talking about him in that meeting with these new initiatives. There are women on your team that don't have that person higher up in leadership with that natural affinity. And so they don't have anyone in which they're on their mind in those meetings. And so leaders like you have a great opportunity to sort of expand your horizon and look beyond the natural affinity you have to see who are actually the leaders who have promise. Even though I might cross gender boundaries or I might cross age boundaries or economic boundaries or ethnic boundaries, I'm going to reach out for the potential leaders I have. I'm going to put all of those in my brain. I'm going to learn a little bit about all of their stories. So when I, as a high-level leader in those conversations, I can represent all the potential leaders in my team, not just those who I have a natural affinity or easier connection with, so that I can be a sponsor of everyone. Right. That's so good. And what hit me is what you just said is when I'm in, uh, you know, hey, let's go out to lunch and I connect with this guy or connect with this guy. When I'm in meetings about, hey, who do we see potential in? I'm already pulling on these relational connections I've made that I necessarily haven't made with some of the other female leaders who are probably as, if not more qualified than the, the friends list that I'm thinking of. That part of the book was was a was a game changer and really changed the way I looked at just the landscape of who I'm spending time with and who I'm developing and making sure I'm doing that. But it is not natural. It's not just something I just naturally do. I read that and thought I do that every day, and I never mm-hmm. saw it as um, not developing female leaders. I saw it as I'm developing leaders, but I'm excluding half of the people uh, just because of this 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 natural barrier. That part was, was mind blowing for me. Well, I love that Avery because you're exactly the kind of leader I wrote the book for because I feel like there are just such amazing godly men leading our churches who are just unaware of how their patterns or the way it was modeled for them or their experience in getting into leadership. They're just not aware of how they're kind of uh, repeating that cycle. And it's certainly not because someone's trying to exclude women. Most of the time, it's exactly what you are. I just never thought about it. And I assume there were other people doing that for the other leaders. I'm going to, you know, these are the people that God gave to me because we have this great connection. We can tend to over-spiritualize affinity as if there's this big like Holy Spirit moment when really, we just have a lot in common. But as a leader, you're really responsible for all the potential that God has brought into your church. And so really challenging our own mindsets and our own disciplines to make sure we're, we're looking at all of the potential and stewarding everyone equally, that is the thing that's really going to change the navigation of our leadership. It's going to change the dynamics of our churches. It's going to bring a lot more women and other people into leadership that we might easily overlook. That's excellent. So you mentioned this idea of they're often leaders that uh, they just, they're just not aware. How does a female leader in an environment where, where most of her upline is going to be men, how 
does she bring these issues up in an environment where it, it's, it's a non-issue in, in their mind? You know, we can, we can give out all the books we want, but how do you even start these conversations without running into a Katie Cole, without finding a book that you're like, oh, that's what I've been doing wrong. How, how, how do you <laughs> encourage female leaders to, to even break into some of these conversations? Mm -hmm. It's an excellent question, and it's not always easy. In fact, it's rarely easy. Uh, and that's another reason I wrote the book is I wanted to be encouraging to women to just remind them that they're not alone in this, that this is a hard conversation, that there are some systems and structures and historical practices that we've all inherited that have nothing to do with me or the men I work for. They're just things that we're a part of a pattern. And so part of what we have to do as women is be willing to step in and help break that pattern. I actually think most of this change is going to come from the male leaders who are in uh, roles of power and influence and resources because they're the ones, I would say, they're the ones who can unlock doors for women so easily. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, we need to knock on the door. We need to rattle the door. We need to push the door open a little bit for ourselves. Yeah. And so part of it is I really kind of recommend to people, you kind of have to come at it in two two ways at the same time. You need to be honoring of your leaders, just like you would with any other initiative or any other change you were wanting to lead. You come at it, understanding it from their perspective, giving everyone the benefit of the doubt, knowing that people's heart for the most part are good. There might be some awareness issues. So you wanna be really honoring to your leaders because that's the way you open doors for dialogue. Being angry, having an agenda, a chip on your shoulder, that rarely gets us everywhere we want to go. So being honoring of the position and the people that we serve, but then also being really honest, having our facts straight, being able to give concrete examples, being prepared, being a professional. When you're wanting to create change, you have to make a great presentation. And so it can't be just I'm whining or I'm complaining or I'm playing the gender card or I'm trying to convince you how harder my life is than all the men that I work with. That might be true, but that gets you nowhere in the leadership mm -hmm. circle. So one of the things I try to really emphasize for people is this is not a book about developing women. This is not about all the women in your church having more opportunity to do something. This is about developing female leaders, right. women with leadership gifts of all sorts that have potential, who can come together and bring some clear thoughts, who can initiate change, who don't mind having awkward conversations or confronting poor behavior. They can lead well because they're leaders. And so if you are a leader out there, you might be the only female leader. You might be the only one who sees things from your perspective, but that still means that God has opened a door for you to really be able to share your voice and your perspective and bring the change that he's anointed you to bring. Um, I always look at the story of Esther. Um, and especially now that I've done this research, I look at it so differently because you, we don't ever get an Esther if there wasn't a Queen Vashti who kind of took the hit for her ahead yeah. of time. Yeah. And so you might be an Esther who's going to like step in for such a time as this. And, you know, there's a national holiday after you now, right. or, you know, I feel like I'm probably more of the Vashti generation. Mm. I've took some hard knocks. I've had some doors closed. I've had some wonderful doors open, but my um, opportunities and my calling is a different thing than maybe the women who will come behind me, but it doesn't mean I'm any less motivated to see change even if I'm not the only beneficiary of the change. So if you're going to create change, you have to be up for whatever that change is and whatever your role in it is, because it's beyond just one person. Wow. That's really good. Well, if I could just tell you, thank you. Uh, thank you for writing this book. Thank you for taking the time to, 
uh, bring light to an issue that we may not even known was there, but someone once told me, when you know better, do better. And so this is a, this is a, a great gift to the body of Christ. So, so thank you for writing it. Well, thank you so much. That means a lot coming from you. So I really appreciate that.